It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista, Series 4, Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. Let's speak to our man whose diary is busier than Joe Biden's right now with his handsome basket of environmental delights. He's the green entrepreneur environmentalist, Dale Vince. I don't know where I was going with that, Dale, to be honest. <laughs> well, who cares, right? Who cares? Yeah, and absolutely I'm, right. And I'm still here thinking, well, I've got a better memory than Joe Biden, at least, right, with his black and tan gaffe earlier. I know, that was a bit, <laughs> bit kind of odd. I know what his mind was thinking. And, you know, there might have been some people in the crowd thinking, yeah, I'm happy with that. Absolutely. Lots to get through here. And the, the list of things that you're up to is pretty endless because we will talk not just about the printed word, but about the visual appearance of your good self. But we'll come to that in a second. Let's talk about net zero and campaigners saying that targets will be missed partly because of planned road building sprees that are going on. I mean, how, this surely is, again, I know it's under the category of tell us something we didn't know. This government yeah. might be a bit <laughs> up in the way it thinks about things, but it, it just goes completely in the face of what they say they are doing. Yeah, when I first read this headline, I thought, oh, yes, yeah, one of those tell us something we don't know because uh, we will miss the target, right? I mean, that's a fact. Uh, but pinning it on uh, road building was an interesting new twist. And what's happened is the government have released revised figures uh, for the impact of transport, the transport sector on our carbon footprint. And they've added 26 megatons or million tons more CO2 than they first projected. And the reason, the culprit for that is actually they've found that plug-in hybrids emit more carbon, three to five times more carbon in the real world than they do on tests. And so they've really updated the projections for uh, the real world effect of hybrid cars. Got it. And And this makes transport... I mean, transport is now the number one carbon dioxide contributor in the UK. And back in the- Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It used to be energy back in the 2000s when we came up with energy, transport, and food as the three big things within which there's 80% of all carbon impact. Energy was first, transport was second, food was third. But actually, the energy sector was cleaned up. You know, 50% yep. of our electricity now comes from renewables, and transport is the uh, leading contributor. Yeah, yeah. But within this story, there's also more madness from our government. The- Department of Transport has created a new policy telling decision makers to ignore the climate impact of new roads when they give them consent. <laughs> and if that's not enough, they say, but you can consider the uh, the beneficial impact of planting trees alongside new roads towards biodiversity targets and stuff like that. I mean, you know, on, on top of the coal mine in Cumbria and, and the new the vast new oil and gas fields uh, in the North Sea. I mean, you know, this is a government that doesn't give a shit about the climate crisis, clearly. Do you know what? If I didn't know different, Dale, I'd think this government was run by a bunch of <laughs> But it's mad, isn't it? It's just, you know, the whole picture is so maddening. You know, they do everything that shouldn't be done and practically nothing that should be done. How do they think it makes sense? What I don't get, even if you take the, the kind of specific characters in the government 
out uh, of the equation. There are some, you know, very impressive, we are told, people around, you know, advisors. Somebody must flag this stuff up at a meeting somewhere around an impressive old oak table in Whitehall and say, ah, right, you're trying to reduce car usage. We're trying to get people into different modes of vehicle. We want to go big on public transport. We've got a net zero promise, but we're simultaneously going to not only build new roads, we're literally going to tell those building them to not even care about the environmental impact. It's mad. I got a feeling that they're just prioritizing economic growth over everything else. And they think that roads and oil fields and coal mines is all about, it's old fashioned economic growth. We know that. And that's what they're focused on. Yeah. But I mean, if a kid was thinking that way at school, they, the teachers are calling the social workers, wouldn't they? They'd go, look, I've got a child here. There's something not quite right going on. Uh, that's how d- ridiculous this is. I mean, it's an easy thing to spot, and yet it carries on, uh, it, it seems, without challenge. It's just incredible. Uh, this one's back on the agenda. We love a heat pump yeah, story, we do, we do. Dale. And uh, here's another. Yeah, great story I read last week. Uh, a bunch of campaigners and um, one of those consultancies and actually a heat pump manufacturer have come together to produce a, a kind of letter. They sent a letter to Grant Shapps actually to say, whatever you do, don't allow hydrogen blending in the gas grid. There's a proposal to allow about 20% of that. Uh, don't allow it because it'll add a couple of hundred quid to annual energy bills household energy bills, um, because we've got better alternatives like heat pumps. And, and you know, what I can't understand are these, you know, these are all professional people, apparently, and, and they just glibly say that heat pumps are uh, a cheaper alternative. And they clearly haven't looked at the impact of a heat pump. They say that, uh, you know, hydrogen is more expensive than fossil fuel gas without realizing that electricity is more expensive than fossil fuel gas and your use of electricity will triple with a heat pump. They just haven't crunched the numbers. So I just find it kind of galling, really, that there's this big move to stop the 20% blend which actually is a good idea as long as we make that 20% hydrogen from excess renewable yeah. electricity when, you know, obviously when we don't need it, we can turn it into hydrogen. It just makes great sense and then augment green gas in the gas grid. Uh, well, of course, Shaps is involved in this, which I fi- find, you know, of no surprise at all. Uh, he, he's a lot of things. I know he's not a stupid bloke and I, I can absolutely see, and I saw a former minister do this, I think it was Owen Patterson. I think you might have had some dealings with over the past, but he was talking uh, on the back benches and he came out with the line. He said, now I'm not in the cabinet. I can speak with the freedom of a backbencher. And I can't remember what the specific policy was, but I can kind of see a time when Grant Shapps will be that person. He'll say that now I'm not wedded to this kind of collective responsibility lark. I can actually tell you now that I always thought the heat pump idea was a crock of <laughs> shit. I, re- I can hear him saying it. Because he must know that because all the evidence is there to, to show I don't it, right? think they've seen evidence. You know, I think they've been lobbied by heat pump manufacturers successfully and told that that's the answer. And now they're being lobbied by the hydrogen lobby uh, to like uh, create a hydrogen levy on fuel bills in order to support the kind of early adoption of, of blue hydrogen production and that kind of stuff, which I think we're going to talk about in a minute a little bit further. But, you know, this whole hydrogen economy stuff is, is just another one of those kind of unicorn technologies like um, – carbon capture and storage, you know, where we're pinning our hopes on stuff that, you know, doesn't exist either at all or at scale when we've just got simple alternatives to do things differently. Well, let's tie that in. Hydrogen made with fossil fuels will be considered clean energy. I mean, how many more of these stories can we read? It seems there's a a shapsy not just here, but all over the bloody (laughs) world. Because this is, uh, again, six-year-old mathematics and physics will tell you otherwise, but don't let that stop certain politicians from just simply making it up as they go yeah. along. 
How, so throw some fossil fuels in, but as long as the word hydrogen is there, we can call it clean energy. Yeah, it's interesting because this comes from the IEA, the International Energy Agency, who often publish quite sensible stuff. I think they're the people that said recently we need to stop drilling for new oil and gas if we're going to hit zero carbon targets. So, you know, fair play for that one. But uh, blue hydrogen is made from fossil fuels. And, and it, it emits uh, uh, more methane, actually, than, uh, than using fossil fuels does, uh, you know, directly for heat, for example. Blue hydrogen uh, has 20% higher emissions overall than, than gas or coal if it's used directly for heat and 60% more than diesel. So we can't use, we can't use it for heat. It would be madness uh, to do that. Th- these are guidelines from the IEA to try and encourage investment in the production of blue hydrogen. And they're saying as long as it's got less than seven kilograms of CO2 for one kilogram of hydrogen – they're okay with it. But it relies, crucially this is, it relies on carbon capture and storage to remove 90% of the carbon emissions involved in the process to get it down to roughly three kilograms. Without that carbon capture, it's 30 kilograms of CO2 per kilogram of hydrogen. It's absolutely mad. And we know that carbon capture and storage doesn't exist uh, at scale. It's not economic. And it's at the heart of the blue hydrogen plan. I mean, I I Mm. think it's mad. We need to call those social workers quickly, don't we? <laughs> we need to get those guys in a bit lively. Something is upside down here. Dale, it's time for this. Hi, I'm Mike Graham from Talk TV, and I've been asked to tell you about green issues and a new book called Manifesto. It's brilliant, apparently. Do you believe in climate change? I don't. Do you believe we all need to find a greener way of living our lives? No, I don't either. I think it's all a load of guff perpetuated by loony lefties and eco-zealots hell-bent on causing a nuisance. Do you believe we're all killing our beautiful planet? No. Neither do I, but I know a fellow who does. His name's Dale Vince. He's so convinced he's written a whole book about it called Manifesto. The Battle for Green Britain. It's part memoir, part handbook for changing the world and shaking it up, apparently. I won't be buying it, but you can if you want to waste your hard-earned cash. It's $4.99. Pretty cheap, isn't it? You must be wealthy as hell. According to this script, it's available now from fgr.co.uk forward slash shop. Do you reckon he secretly bought a copy? Wow. <laughs> you know, I reckon he has. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's a secret uh, eco nut. Do you know what I mean? He's a he's a closet Greta, is what yeah. I reckon. Uh, I hope he's listening. <laughs> well, he, he may. You may. You never know. He might well be next week because I know you're going to be there. Uh, Extinction Rebellion. It's a timely moment just to reference that. What's happening? Yeah, I think they're calling it the big one. Uh, it's a big march in London next Friday. And um, yeah, hopefully, you know, shitloads of people are going to turn up and cause disruption and bring attention to the issue and, and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, I love the advert that Mike did. I got to yeah. say, I, I watch it when I want to cheer myself up. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> well, he might be on the march. That was my point. I think he, I think he could be there. There'll be oh, really? you. There'll be people like Stephen Fry, and I reckon secretly squirrelled away in the crowd, maybe wearing a balaclava. Yeah. Uh, or part of a counter protest, right? American style. <laughs> Maybe he's one of those. He'll be yeah. marching down the street with his mock AK-47. Yeah, just shouting in people's faces, bitch, because that's how they do it, isn't it? That's all they have to say. Just keep repeating that like some crazy mantra. And uh, apparently that that works to enhance your campaign. Uh, here's a question that comes in from Leslie on Twitter. One for the podcast, vegan pizza. Does it work for you, Dale? It kind of does, actually, but I tend to have it without cheese, and I've been doing it for, like, you know, a long time. And I had it in Italy once, decades ago, and they told me that was actually an Italian way to have it lunchtime because oh, it's, a, it's lighter food. So yeah. it's, not even, it's not even a new invention. Uh, you're probably referring to, like, vegan cheese on a pizza, and, and, you know, it's okay, but I actually tend to find that just a good pizza without cheese is better. So you just leave the cheese out of it anyway? Yeah, that's it. 
Fair point. Uh, here's another headline, Dale. World's ocean surface temperature hits record high. And I know that's something that won't particularly surprise you. Yeah, it's not shocking, uh, but the numbers are shocking. And, uh, you know, the the temperature has hit an all-time high since records began. Uh, average temperature of 21.1 degrees across the entire world since the start of April. I mean, that's that's a bit warm, right? Considering it's got two poles in there as well. And, um, and according to scientists, the trajectory looks like it's headed off the charts. Um, and so what we've got now is just a little piece of what's coming. We move from the book bugle to this. It's the TV trombone, uh, because that tells us... Because <laughs> there had to be another wind instrument, right? C- correct. It's got to be wind-based, clearly. And that makes perfect sense for lots of reasons. Um, but in addition to uh, releasing a book and all the other things that are going on with the world of football and energy and politics, there's a new TV show out there. There is. Uh, is with BT Sport. And I think it's a three-parter. We've been shooting it over the last few months. I'm the kind of like uh, the uh, the host and the narrator. And it involves six BT Sports presenters, two at a time, two in each episode. Yep. And, you know, I get to grill them about the way they live, uh, the things they do. And then we get to chat about alternatives and stuff. And it, it was a really fun experience. And I think three of the six people went out and bought electric cars off the back of it, which is wow. incredible, incredible kind of uh, change. I mean, it looks like a great little series. It's going to carry the message to a, you know, to a good audience, a sporting audience. I think. Definitely, and, definitely. You know, it was fun to make. Do you know what I found really annoying about it? No. And I say, I say this in my capacity as a sort of TV and radio presenter. What I found really annoying is that you were actually really bloody good at it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, this bloke looks like he's been doing it for years. And I think there is something about, you know, if somebody is on territory that they're familiar with, you know when they get TV yeah. programs presented yeah. by the wrong people yeah. because somebody just wants to squeeze in a, a comedian or a well-known actor mm. and they don't really give a shit whether that person is wedded to the subject matter. They yeah. just need the name or the face. And because this is your territory, it, you, it that clearly comes through. I mean, it's a no-brainer. They should have got somebody like yourself to front this. <laughs> and it really does work. Yeah, nice. I, I really enjoyed making it. The voiceover was was almost the most fun part. Actually, I've never done that before. You know, like in the next episode, blah blah blah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, all the people I interviewed, uh, nearly all of them, you know, sat in the chair getting ready to be filmed, and they were all like, "Oh, this is a bit intimidating." They thought I was going to go full Jeremy Paxman on them, <laughs> asking them fifteen times what but they had. But I'm not like that, right? It's not about yeah. guilt and finger pointing and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's about a conversation. I had some great conversations and just, I'm sure. you know, it was so interesting actually to understand how they see things as well as what they do yeah. and, and to get the chance to like offer them facts, like key statistics always make a big difference. And, you know, I mean, I loved it. It was great fun. We urge everyone to, <laughs> I think I watch. Uh, we urge, <laughs> uh, we would absolutely urge everybody make it a, a rule of thumb that you check that out on BT sport, best foot forward now screening. Um, there it is. Uh, here's another headline that we spotted Dale. Canadian banks become the world's dirtiest bankers. And it's interesting, isn't it? When you look, when you sort of start to design the whole web of question marks surrounding 
the environmental debate. You know, we, we talk a lot on this podcast, clearly about energy. We talk a lot about food, which is something I know you're very passionate about and its relevance to this debate, which is absolutely huge. Uh, but we don't often talk about dirty money, uh, which is absolutely connected to this. No, absolutely. First off, I thought uh, you dirty bankers is something your old nan would say. That's a slur straight out of her playbook. And that made me that made me laugh. But quite, <laughs> quite seriously, the role of money in the climate crisis cannot be overestimated. You know, money drives the world. Uh, it drives investment in the wrong things, for example, you know, and, and politicians allow that. They allow big companies and small companies to make money by investing in the wrong things. Bankers are behind, you know, most of the gargantuan, you know, climate bad projects that we see happening around the world because, you know, the, the funding for that comes from bankers. And, uh, you know, the Canadians, uh, you know, they've, they've got top spot in the Dirty Banker League. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's yeah. quite funny. Well, anyone that has the grizzly bear as a emblem frankly is to be <laughs> the grizzly or the grizzly steer away from that place <laughs> <That's a bit laughs> <grizzly>. <laughs> uh, this from dylan who says are you getting out on the road in your camper van this summer any updates on the project dale yeah i've, I've had a couple of cancellations i was meant to go and have a test drive uh this coming monday and before that about a i don't know maybe a month ago uh, the guys hit some problems with the bodywork, actually, nothing technical. Uh, it's in the spray booth now, and that's somehow been delayed. And um, I'm going there in three or four weeks, and it should be uh, it should be just about done for some proper road trials. Um, so, I mean, short and long of the story is it's nearly ready, and it will be ready for the summer. Fantastic. Headline I didn't think I'd see, particularly at the moment. Americans are growing less convinced that humans are causing climate change. And the reason that surpri- wouldn't have surprised me a couple of years ago, but I thought they kind of got over that face and they were moving in a different direction, but apparently not. Yeah, post-Trump, you might think things yeah. have got better. But this is a snapshot over a five-year period. Uh, and it does say 74% believe in uh, climate change, but only 49 call it 50%, think it's man-made which is a bit of a shocker, right? Half the country thinks it's not man-made, but nearly three-quarters think it's a big deal. Yeah. And, and, and amazingly, only 40% would pay a paltry $1 a month to help fix it. Only 40% of Americans would stump that up. Really? Um, a dollar yeah. a month? A dollar a month. They want 12 a lot for the dollar, don't they? To they save the planet. It's like, no, I'm sorry, boy, that's too expensive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, lovely, lovely snapshot of, uh, of American uh, psychology there. That's a beauty. Uh, back to the TV show, because a question from Jeremy says, I've just seen the trailer for your new uh, BT Sports show, loving your narrator voice. What is, which you've just alluded to, you enjoy doing the, the, the voiceover stuff. Um, what's the best bit about making the show? You know, I want to say the narration was definitely the most fun part, but I think the conversations, I had a great conversation with Hugo, the, the, you know, the ex-rugby player, for example, yeah. really deep conversation about the role of protest actually in society and, and that kind of stuff, which, you know, I try to have them conversations on right wing radio and, usually get showered down but with him we had a we had a like decent conversation about the you know the fact that so many people are simply frustrated that they can see what's happening and they could do nothing about it and the mm. only alternative they have is to protest and there's surely they've got a right to do that it's interesting that you well that, absolutely interesting that you one of the best bits was you enjoyed doing the the voiceover stuff that you you, you mentioned there and that's the for me when i do stuff that's the that's the bit i enjoy least <laughs> i get in that booth and i can't quite get my head around it's just such a weird it's never lost on me dale that you're in a sealed padded room when you're in one of those things there's quite yeah. a relevance there i think 
and you hope to get out. But I'd never done it before. So I got in the booth and they handed me a script um, like I'd never seen before. And, and each kind of uh, speaking part had a had a kind of a, a timing for it. So there's like a whole bunch of words describing when to start speaking, then a bunch of words to speak. At the beginning, of that, I was thinking, fuck, I'm never going to do this. Like, I'm, I'm trying to watch the screen, uh, read read the cue to say, you know, when, when is the right cue and then say the right words in the right timing. Yeah. It was... Um, it was daunting. It's but a discipline, it, isn't it, in itself, that I you think n- so. never think about until you're asked to do it. I think so. And I'd, I'd done uh, the audiobook recording for Manifesto and, and really learned a lot from that. The guy in, uh, in the studio kind of, you know, gave me a lot of coaching. And, and uh, so I, I kind of, I could do the voice. So it was really just about the timing. And I, yeah. I, honestly, I enjoyed it. By the end, it was just like, yeah, but, you know. There give me it is. another gig. Give me another gig. I love this. Yeah, well, uh, Dell is available for commercials, <laughs> advertising, uh, 4x4s, uh, chocolate, and steak and kitty pies, and holidays in the coal mines. <laughs> <laughs> Take your family. <laughs> uh, here's a headline. Uh, before we do a final question, tech startup using AI to create the next generation of vegan cheese. Um AI is the big thing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, we haven't even got any idea of how this is going to change our lives, but we're now getting clues. And apparently, it's going to create the next, well, vegan cheese, which we alluded to in a, a previous question that we had from Leslie about mm. cheese and pizzas. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, I think there's already some great vegan cheese out there. But fundamentally, to me, all cheese is made from two things, fat and bacteria. And I think, you know, nutritionally, that's not great. And and I think that, you know, vegan food is a, is a chance to improve nutrition if we don't seek to mimic animal products too, too, you know, too madly, like with burgers and stuff like that. But having said that, I love the AI angle here. The guys behind it are saying it would take millions of years to achieve the same result through experimentation as they can do with AI. They're, they're basically going to look at the properties of all plants and the properties of all animal cheeses and find a match uh, so they can make a, a, an animal fake cheese with just plants rather than precision fermentation or all kinds of you know other intensive, odd processes. I mean, I love the idea. I just don't think we need a whole load of cheese in the world. Well, well <laughs> that's, that's that's just a title of a new West End farce, isn't it? We don't need no cheese. Uh, but there, there's there's the other question that comes on the back of that about the kind of lab made meat, which I yeah. think we've touched on before. So eventually, this will be made, and it will no animal will be harmed or killed or anything like that. But they will be able to produce a fillet steak on a plate that will absolutely taste like the best ever. Now. That's good in the sense that no one dies in the process, but of course, you're still eating something that resembles an animal. So I, w- I would imagine you would still swerve that. Yeah, it's a nutrition issue for me. You know, that, that's if you look at uh, burgers that mimic meat right now, they're full of saturated fat and salt. They yeah, mimic yeah. the meat burger by having those bad ingredients. That's in, true. Fundamentally, and, and that's why I say it's the same about cheese. It's only made of fat and bacteria, whether it's yep. cow fat or or like nut fat. Who cares? It's still basically. Uh, not a very healthy product, I would say. And lab-grown meat, well, yeah, there's all kinds of hideous, really, in it. I mean, at least it won't drive as much climate change, mm. um, and and it doesn't have animal cruelty in it. Blah blah blah. But you know, do we really need it? Because plant-based food is in a massive opportunity to move away from bad food, unhealthy food, yeah. um, and um, that's where I stand on it. Fair point. And finally, Seb says, uh, Dale, what's your situation with Gazprom? Has your contract ended yet? Tell us more, Dale. 
Ah, yeah, the height of the energy crisis. Well, no, it wasn't the energy crisis really. It was the kind of let's boycott everything Russian. Uh, That's right. Episode yeah. that we had yeah, around yeah. the world, didn't we? You know, and uh, including vodka, you know, and, and stuff like that. I would proudly go into a pub and ask for a Smirnoff just for the hell of it. But that's just me. And, you know, we uh, we were asked if we had dealings with Gazprom. They're a gas trader in Britain. And we did. We had a small contract with them. We looked at it. The cost of cancelling it would have run into many millions of pounds gifted to them, which didn't seem to be the idea of a boycott, right? That was meant to hurt them, not uh, not give them money. So we said, we'll let it run down. I assume it's run out. I haven't checked. But it only had, uh, I think, six to eight months left to run. Uh, a year or so ago. I mean, I could go and check, um, but I think it's gone. I will check, actually. Good work. Um, Dale, that's it for this one. Um, We'll speak in a week. Ah, Well, that was fun. Thank you. Indeed. (laughs) Have a great week, Dale. Uh, (laughs) Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there, too. Really important bit, follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on Insta and on TikTok. Don't forget the book and the TV show, too. We'll see you next (laughs) week. Zero carbon. East off.